0: Well, good morning. Continuing in prayer today for all of those in the greater Nashville area affected by a series of tornadoes on Monday night. Um, I am thankful for Peter Kapsner's willingness to cover for me here yesterday. Aren't you so appreciative of people who cover for you when you just need some covering? I just really deeply appreciate that. Uh, I was uh, at some meetings in Washington, D.C. I spent a little time with three people who specifically asked for our prayers and so I'm passing those prayer requests along today. Uh and also curious who asked you for your prayers yesterday. Who asked you yesterday to pray for them? Or whom did you ask to pray for you? Have you done so? Have you prayed for the people who yesterday you said, "Oh yeah, I'll pray for you about that." Um I am a a man named Anthony is coming to mind from uh from last week uh who I have uh, who I agreed to pray for and have been doing so, but um Probably have not done so in the last couple of days. So I'm renewing my uh, thoughts related to praying for Anthony. Yesterday, three people who specifically asked for our prayers were U.S. Ambassador for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback, uh, U.S. Senator, Tim Scott, and Admiral Tim Zimer. Um, Tim Zimer has a, a title that I don't even think fits on a business card. He's the Senior Deputy Assistant Administrator for the Bureau of Democracy, Conflict, and Humanitarian Assistance at USAID. And so, um, let's pray for them. And as we do so, let's pray for others who have asked us to pray, who maybe we, you know, agreed to do that, but then we just admit life got busy and we forgot to pray for them. So right now, I want you to, don't close your eyes if you're driving, but let's pray for the people for whom we have agreed to pray. And we're going to pray for these three who specifically asked yesterday for our prayers. Father, we come before you, you are sovereign over all things, all places, all times, all people, And so we lift up to you the concerns of these who have asked us to pray, specifically um, the concerns of Sam and Tim and Tim. Um, Father, for for all those who bow the knee before you and ask for your intervention in things personal and things uh, familial, things relational, things local, things national, things global. Um, Father, the list of concerns that was raised up uh, yesterday by these men, uh, they're serious concerns. Poverty in our own United States of America and hungry children and homelessness. And then things, Father, that seem so far out of our reach but certainly do not escape your concern. Uh, Human trafficking and the persecution of religious minorities around the globe. And not only the coronavirus but Ebola and AIDS and tuberculosis and malaria and everything else that arises that creates desperation in the lives of people Um, The the massive migration of humanity around the globe today and the 27 million people who are living as refugees and can never go home, where will they find a new home? Father, so many things. And at the personal level, we lift up to you our personal pain, uh, physical pain, chronic pain, um, pain that exists in our relationships, uh, mental illness, challenges that we have with our kids or our parents or at work, our financial uh, health, and, and, Father, yes, the future, and so we come before you uh, in much the same way that your son Jehoshaphat came before you when he looked around and he just frankly didn't know what to do. And so we bow the knee, we acknowledge your sovereignty, um, and and we ask, Father, for you to do um, what only you can do, which is to glorify yourself today. Let our eyes see you at work today. Nothing's too big for you to handle. The battle is yours. We have armored up with Ephesians 6 and we take our stand. And we recognize, Father, that you not only are with us, but you are for us as we are for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Up first this morning, I've got a conversation with Ben Johnson. He and I are going to talk across a range of issues, not least of which um, a back and forth between uh, a member of Congress, a significant member of Congress, and um, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's going on. We'll be right back. is my right, a right given by God
2: to live a free life, to live in freedom.
0: Joining me now, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can follow him on Twitter at The Rights Writer. Ben, welcome back.
1: Good morning, Carmen. Good to be with you.
0: It's Thursday, so Ben must be here. It makes me smile. It's the big. All right. Well, we lost Ben, just as I was exalting in his presence. So uh, um, Paul will work to get Ben back and I will brief you in on this first topic of conversation that Ben and I are going to have. So Chief Justice John Roberts, who rarely responds to criticism because, right, people are critical of judges all the time. And if you responded every time you allowed yourself to get upset and responded every time, that's all you would do and you wouldn't get your actual job done. And so um, maybe a little surprising that yesterday the Chief Justice of the u s Supreme Court, John Roberts Jr., um, issued a statement denouncing remarks that were made by Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, who is um, uh, you know, the democratic leader of of the Senate. And so I'm going to bring uh, Ben back on now, and he is going to tell us what Mr. Schumer said, um, and then what mr. Robert said, and then I even think that there is more after that. So, Ben, I have briefed people in on the um, uh, at least the beginning of this conversation. Tell them what happened.
1: Yeah, so uh, yesterday there were two dueling rallies in Washington, D.C., one of them uh, from Priests for Life and other people who were in favor of uh, the Louisiana case, uh, which is taking place uh, in front of the Supreme Court just yesterday, which would determine whether states can require people to have admitting privileges, uh, particularly that uh, abortionists would have to have admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles of where they practice. So uh, at the same time, there was a pro-abortion rally head by, uh, headed uh, in, in, the, uh, in the area. Chuck Schumer was the keynote speaker. And during that, he gave a, a speech where he said that he specifically addressed Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and he said, "You have unleashed the whirlwind, and you will you will reap destruction." Essentially, is what he had to say. He said that if you go through with a terrible decision uh, on on abortion, that uh, you would not believe what is coming after you. Uh, so he was he was gearing up, aiming specifically at the two of them. Justice Roberts uh, issued a statement which is very unusual for the court to respond to any kind of criticism. But Justice Roberts said. Uh, We are independent jurists and we will uh, come to our own conclusions without any interference from uh, any other politician or any other branch of government. And then uh, uh, Schumer's spokesperson later that day issued a statement uh, basically standing by what Schumer had to say, saying that uh, they have every right to uh, pressure the uh, high court over its decisions. So, was a really, it was an unusual situation to say the least. The language that uh, Schumer used uh, sounded almost like he was going to have someone go and work them over. Uh, And I I guess it's appropriate that you would have violent imagery when it comes to abortion. But uh, this this was highly unusual, incredibly intemperate, and the sort of language that uh, we typically would not see in any political discussion. And it doesn't seem to crop up over any other issue except when life is on the line.
0: So it would seem that um, Chuck Schumer is at least making a um, a sideways reference to, I don't know, either Hosea 8-7, which is specifically the uh, sow the wind, reap the whirlwind um, biblical reference. Maybe he is making a sideways reference to Galatians 6-8, um, the one who sows to please his flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Um Uh, It's it was an interesting um, it's an interesting pointing to scripture, especially if he's pointing to the Old Testament reference, which is, frankly, a condemnation of idolatry. (laughs) And the idolatry of this generation is is abortion. And so it's a curious reference if we were to walk it out. Um, Tell us what happened yesterday inside the Supreme Court as it was weighing this Louisiana abortion law.
1: Yeah, so the uh, the law in question is very similar to a Texas law that was struck down a few years ago uh, in uh, Whole Woman's Health v. Hellerstedt. Uh, in this particular case, uh, Louisiana requires abortionists to have admitting privileges within 30 miles, uh, which is to say that if something goes wrong with an abortion, they have the right to admit a woman directly into a hospital. Most abortionists don't have this. And uh, as it turned out, uh, only one abortionist, uh, only one abortion facility, had an abortionist who was able to obtain these. However, what the court found, and particularly in the appeals court uh, in the Fifth Circuit, they found that in fact uh, the reason most abortionists didn't have it is because they did not seek them; uh, they simply didn't attempt to uh, to have these uh, privileges in one way or another. So uh, they're determining now whether. This violates uh, the, what uh, previous uh, previous rulings have laid down as uh, an undue burden on a woman's right to exercise her right to an abortion. Uh, the entire thing, in terms of a legal edifice, is just one one uh, piece of uh, one enormous house of cards, really. Uh, You initially have this right to privacy, which the Supreme Court came up with, not in, uh, say, the Fourth Amendment, which is incredibly uh, clear, or some of the other statements in the Bill of Rights, which are quite clear about the rights that you really have. They say that within the Constitution, there are certain shadows that cast out shadows which emanate penumbras. And within these shadows of penumbras, there are rights that are unenumerated, but that still apply to you. And within this, within these shadows of penumbras of rights, you have the right to privacy, which includes the right to abortion. Um, If you can follow that sort of uh, reasoning, then you understand that uh, that's that's where the right to an abortion came from. They created it entirely out of whole cloth. Uh, it obviously violates the 14th Amendment, which says that no one shall be deprived of uh, life, liberty, or property without due process of the law. But that's, that's where the initial right to abortion came from. In 1992, they said that uh, you cannot have an undue burden on the right to exercise this, but they didn't define it. In Hellerstedt, basically they said that depending on the circumstances of each state, any law can be held up or struck down depending on how it affects people in that state, and the only people who can determine that are nine roped judges in Washington, D.C. So you basically have a, a, a rotating dictatorship where five people can determine whether a law is correct or not, even if they are identical laws in different states. So... Even though there was an identical law that uh, they struck down in Texas a few years ago, first of all, there there have been two new justices, as Schumer alluded to, and second of all, it's a different state, different circumstances, and so it could have an entirely different ruling, and we certainly hope that it will.
0: Yeah, no, it shouldn't be lost on anybody that the two justices that uh, Chuck Schumer chose to um, identify are the two who have been um, seated and sworn in since the uh, election uh, of President Donald Trump. And so this is this, I mean, I, it all it always circles back to this, um, Ben, and that is that elections matter and presidential elections matter a lot when we start talking about who's going to be seated um, at all level levels of the federal judiciary. All right. When Ben and I come back, we are going to um, have a conversation about a couple of pieces that are posted at acton.org. They are pro-life related, um, and they are also healthcare related, and that conversation um, is an election issue in this 2020 uh, election cycle. So that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right. During that very brief break, our crack research team has also uncovered this interesting. Factoid uh, as the plot thickens in the conversation between Senator Chuck Schumer and Chief Justice John Roberts. Apparently, Brett Kavanaugh used that same scripture reference during his confirmation hearings before the U.S. Senate. So there you go. I, I, I feel like this is going to be an interesting, ongoing conversation about the youth, use of scripture and its weaponization in our culture today. But uh, Ben Johnson and I are having a different conversation right now. Ben, tell us about this pro life conversation in this intersection with either a free market healthcare system or Medicare for all.
1: Yeah, and uh, by the way, when we were talking about admitting privileges, just to wrap up a bow on that, uh, 15, almost 20 years ago, the American Medical Association had a meeting where it said that anyone who performs any kind of ambulatory surgery uh, within their own office have privileges within 30 miles. One of the groups that signed off on that is the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. So, a uh, whole host of other medical providers are required to have or are said by their own by their own representatives that they should have admitting privileges so it 's only abortionists who are held to a lower standard just to put that bow on the conversation and Part of what we were talking about is the right of uh, of people to choose their own health, to choose their own health care to choose their own uh, medical providers and uh, We see right now, of course, Bernie Sanders is somewhat flaming out uh, over Super Tuesday. The Democratic establishment has gotten its ducks in a row behind Joe Biden and is trying to drag him across the finish line. But uh, Biden uh, prefers the public option, which is sort of a slow road to uh, the socialization of uh, medicine, whereas Bernie Sanders would go the direct route with uh, Medicare for all, getting rid of all private medical uh, health insurance of any kind, union uh, medical providers, employer-based health care insurance, and go directly to a health care system where everything is run by the government. One of the provisions is what he calls comprehensive reproductive health care, which means government-funded abortion throughout all nine months of pregnancy and striking down the Hyde Amendment, which prevents funding of abortion, of course. So we would go in a case where under the Hyde Amendment, federal dollars are prohibited from financing abortion to under Medicare for All, where they are drafted into the support of abortion. Uh, that's, that's one of the issues. And then uh, Medicare for All and nationalized healthcare in general is by definition uh, anti-life in the sense that it requires rationing. When you have a whole host of people who are added to a healthcare system and they don't have to pay at the point of, of use, then it incentivizes people to use as much as they want. Uh, they don't see where the cost is coming from. They don't see that uh, they are paying directly to it. Uh, it's it's as though this is provided by magic by somebody else, like people who believe that uh, churches are simply funded by other people. You know, These things magically show up without their tithes going to support the church. It's very much the same thing when it comes to uh, nationalized healthcare. So it incentivizes people to use resources that are scarce And um, at the same time, those sources then have to be rationed. And so, for example, The Lancet, which is a a publication which is well known, it is prestigious. In fact, Bernie Sanders cited it not that long ago, found that the U.K. has a 31 percent higher mortality rate for cancer patients than the United States does simply because they have to wait longer before they get diagnosed. Uh, When things are in the early stages, when they are curable or preventable, uh, they simply go undiagnosed because there's too much rationing. Uh, All of the innovation takes place in the United States, and that's why our Our costs are higher because we're paying for the cost of the innovation of the entire world here, uh, where other countries simply do not have that. If we go to a rational, uh, rationed healthcare system, fewer people will have coverage, more people will have worse coverage, and when it's all said and done, uh, there will be fewer medical innovations and more lost lives.
0: All right, Ben. Um, we want to direct people to the blog at acton.acton.org. A look inside pro life, free market healthcare, and then also medical for Medicare for all is not pro life. Two different posts there that uh, we're going to encourage people to to be reading. All right, one other quick subject before we have to let you go. Um, Bernie Sanders has uh, said he doesn't believe in in private charities. He doesn't think they should exist.
1: That's right. He, when he was mayor of Burlington, he had, he called together several uh, heads of charities and he told them, I don't think that you should exist because uh, the government should be doing this. The private sector should not be involved in providing charity. Well, that's that's the church. What he's saying is that the the state should replace the church in giving charity to other people. By the way... I wrote a, an article several years ago. That's how the Emperor Justinian felt. He was the uh, pagan who came to try and displace Christianity uh, after a few centuries, uh, shortly after been established in uh, the Roman Empire. He believed that the church should not be involved in charity. Only the government should be dealing this out. And by the way, if you received charity from him, that meant you were beholden to him and not to the church and not to Christ. So He wanted to use it to try and establish political dominance over his enemies. We want to use it in order to draw people into a relationship with Christ to show that God loves them because we are his hands reaching out to help and heal them.
0: All right, you and I are going to get to circle back around to um, lots of questions uh, and conversations related to socialism in the coming months, Um, but let's be sure that we keep this one um, on the list, this conversation about um, whether or not the government is the best provider of um, of goods and services to those in need or whether or not those of us who live closest to our neighbors who are in need and whether or not we are in the best position then to help them and through local associations, not least of which would be the church. All right, Ben Johnson, thank you so much. As always, you can find Ben at Acton, dot org. You can also find him on Twitter at The Rights Writer. We'll be right back. All right. Best place to find answers to your questions would be uh, the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And so the Word of God is something that we want to put in your hands. This month, we are giving away one copy of the Jeremiah Study Bible. So that would be David Jeremiah, Dr. David Jeremiah. It's got his teachings and notes throughout. Um, And we are giving away one copy of the Jeremiah Study Bible each week this month. And you can enter to win a copy at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, Again, where in the word are you today? I mean, where in the world is interesting in terms of like geolocation, but in terms of our location spiritually and where we are uh, in terms of our relationship with God and whether or not we live our life as an integrated whole, right? A whole cloth approach to life. Um, If you're not in the word, then you're not in the one who is the word and that would be Jesus. And so for those of us who are seeking each and every day to abide in Christ and grow in Him. Um, Let us be people who are in the Word each and every day. So where in the Word are you today? We'll be right back.
1: Most of us have the luxury of walking away from tough situations or people who tick us off. We can quit a job or bail on a relationship, but teens under our care don't have the same freedom. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. For the most part, teens are a captive audience, at least when it comes to attending school and living under our roof. When they get frustrated or angry, they're forced to live with the person who's caused the disruption. For many teens, that means that they'll choose to fight, lash out, and when backed into a corner, they'll attempt to inflict pain to their offender. So the next time your teen gets hot, try to give them grace. Don't get sidetracked by their outburst. Help them work through the pain. There's more from Mark Gregston on Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: Harrell is joining us now. He's the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. Uh, You can find Christianity Today online at ChristianityToday.com. Daniel, welcome back.
2: Hey, thank you. Good morning.
0: It's delightful to have you here. So you have this ongoing series uh, now uh, posted at ChristianityToday.com. If people were to go to the homepage, um, let me just go ahead and, and share with them. One of the things that you would see at the very top is the cover story of this month's issue of the magazine. Then you're going to see some news and reporting um, that is is sort of the latest info that's up. If you scroll down the page, um, you're going to come to something called The Table on King and Country. It's listed as a special series. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about um, this conversation about... Political engagement and how Christians need to be engaging in political conversations in a way that's distinct from uh, from the culture. Daniel, did I did I is that a is that is that a good summary of what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, no, that's great.
0: So I like the approach, which is that um, Christians need to have a serious discussion about how our identity um, in Christ shapes our activity as citizens. Talk with us about the vision for this um, this ongoing conversation that you are platforming at Christianity Today?
2: Well, this this um, series, of course, comes on the heels of a, a viral uh, editorial that uh, my predecessor, Mark Galley, wrote last December, um, where he was advocating the removal of President uh, Trump from office um, during this impeachment process. And the— the response we we received from that editorial was completely unexpected and and overwhelming um really from both sides and we recognized of course not to really our surprise that the christian's engagement in the political process is ongoing and and we felt something of a responsibility to to recognize a a spectrum of passion and engagement uh, in the christian community and and wanted to reflect that so we we reached out um, to a variety of of authors that we knew represented uh, uh, various political opinions, even though they they shared uh, a common faith in Christ, and and we just invited them to write and offer their perspectives, and that's what you see on this page this um, this wide variety of of personalities who who each are offering their own angles on what it means to be engaged as Christians in the public square,
0: and people really. Um need to read. I mean, maybe they won't read the entire series. You and I might hope that they would, but they they at least need to read several of them because um, there are lots of different viewpoints offered in this series. It really is a robust conversation. Um, and lots of different viewpoints about the complexity of the issues that we're facing emerge in this series.
2: No doubt. and And I think that the part of what you know the christian community has has struggled with really since the the nineteen eighties when there was this intentional step back into the the public sphere after decades of disengagement really since the nineteen twenty five you know scopes trial this this reentry into the public sphere has generated all kinds of passions and of course in our our currencies and deep polarities as as people have divided over the the character of president trump while at the same time trying to uh, come to to grips with some of the policy decisions that that many christians support um i think what we want to do at christianity today is is to advocate that while we we may differ on particular aspects of public policy how can we speak with one another in a a civil and and you know god honoring way that not only doesn't divide us as Christians, but hopefully bears witness to a world that we can have these conversations in ways that aren 't just you know screaming at one another like we see on you know Twitter and cable news and elsewhere
0: okay, and I really think that uh, that seems to get at the most important um, aspect of this. I I don't experience Christians having these conversations in a way that's distinct from the culture. I see Christians very much, uh, evangelical Christians, having these conversations, not even as conversations, but as absolutely screeching, um, incendiary, uh, as if the other is my enemy. Um, And so talk with us about the ways in which you see Christ— influencing the way we go about talking with one another um, particularly if we all identify as Christians
2: well it seems when you when you read uh, when you read the gospels particularly um, uh, John's gospel where where Jesus is praying for his disciples and and speaking to them about how the the chief uh, symbol of our of our faith as community to a a needy world is is our is our love for one another and our unity in Christ and you know the hallmark even from the earliest days of, of the church has been you know even though we have have differed on a number of of issues whether early on it was you know meat sacrifice to idols to later on being particular issues around you know in our day immigration economics there's, there's no doubt that it is the essentials of our faith that, that unite us, and and of course this has been the, the hallmark of of, of Christianity um, in the public square. But it seems like what has happened is that we have lost sight of that, that common unity for the sake of particular political agendas that I think for those of us who who critique this division see that it's all just about power and who holds it. And so um, our identity as, as Republicans or Democrats or conservatives or liberals has, has really uh, trumped, pardon the pun, you know, our commitment and our charity to one another as as Christian brothers and sisters.
0: All right. Um, Daniel Harrell's references there to Scripture, um, I think, are important for us to mark down. So we want you to reread the 13th chapter of the gospel of john also wants you to reread the 17th chapter of the gospel right. of john today um, in the 13th chapter verse 35 is where we get um, the message that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another uh, and so we we talk about their love being this um, this primary or preeminent symbol of our witness as christians in our love uh, that we demonstrate for one another and then of course in john 17 is the 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 conversation that Jesus is having um about this unity that we experience um as members of the body of Christ uh together, each one a part of who Christ is and
2: yeah, the, I would, the I would unity add
0: the, that he expects us to have. Yeah, go ahead.
2: You no, know, I was just saying I would add to that that, that John seventeen is actually a prayer that Amen. Jesus prays when he is praying to God that we might as Christians experience the same unity with one another that that Jesus experiences in the Trinity. And that that it is, you know, Christ in us that makes this unity possible and and mandatory. And and I think we have just, you know, we've just lost sight of that that highest calling um, as we have chosen instead to divide over these these political issues. And, and and not only issues of politics, of course, but but other issues that that happen as we um, I guess the word that's often used these days, tribalize into our particular camps and then just reinforce that tribalization by our outrage and anger against those who disagree with us.
0: Daniel Harrell is the editor in chief of Christianity today. Um, when we come back, he and I are going to continue this conversation about the complexity that we face um, in, in terms of being Christians who are functioning in a very secular culture um, and how we how we function as people of Christ in the midst of uh, the kingdoms of this world. So this conversation is going to continue in just a moment. We'll be right back. Yeah. Continuing my conversation with Daniel Harrell, he is the Editor-in-Chief of Christianity Today. We're talking specifically about a special series posted uh, at Christianity Today called The Table on King and Country, not the band, but the conversation uh, that is ongoing among Christians in the culture about not only political engagement, but our political obligations and how we talk with one another and certainly about one another in the midst of a culture that is just hotly polarized. So, Daniel, um, continuing this conversation, some of, um, I don't know, criticism, I'll use the word criticism because that's probably how it is experienced. Some of the criticism or pushback um, that Christians who want to engage in these in, in conversations that are very, very complex, some of the criticism that we often hear is that we are compromising. We are, um, we are making compromises with the culture that ought not be made. And so there's a purity test um, that you know, if you're going to function in the as a Christian in the context of a secular culture, um, this is. I think this is this is where the rub occurs. What what some see as compromise, others see as sort of necessary in order um, for holiness to continue to have a witness.
2: Yeah, I hear that. I think that you know this highlights sort of a in you know, historic you know in the world but not of the world challenge that Christians have have held in our relationship with with culture and there's there's been a a spectrum again historically regarding the expectations we hold uh as far as our power goes to to shape and transform culture there are some on one end who feel like we can we can change this world and and affect what you know we might think of as a heaven on earth uh, an experience of righteousness a morality that makes you know the the world um a Christian space, and others who have just given up that hope and and see that no our our role here as Christians is like a an outpost of heaven or a colony of heaven, and we should give up those those kinds of pipe dreams and and Christians fall all along you know all along that spectrum, and the extent to which I think we we hold um a belief. That we can shape culture in some ways fuels our our sense of of passion and power regarding affecting change. The uh, the purity test that that you um, describe I think also highlight a, another aspect of this and that is just our identity as, as Christians. Christian like Our our righteousness somehow is is affected by the the policies we support and and promote. And if you don't agree with me somehow, you're your righteousness, as you mentioned, is is compromised. I, I, I would argue that that those kinds of, of tests just divide us and don't bring us together, that we have we have got to recognize that that people of deep faith, and this is what this, this table series is trying to do, that people of, of deep faith and passion nevertheless still disagree on some issues, but that our disagreement, and I write this, in no way allows for disparagement, that just because we don't see eye to eye with a, a fellow believer doesn't mean that 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 fellow believer is somehow uh, excommunicated from from the our Christian circle. We've got to recognize that even though we believe in the truth of the gospel as finite sinful people, we can't necessarily know that truth perfectly. And so we need one another in community for a, a full understanding of what it is God is doing in the world.
0: And these are um, strange times in terms of uh, – th- the democratization of um, platform, and so one individual out there in the world with an opinion has uh, has the power of social media, um, and does not have to follow any kind of editorial guidelines um, or even have fact-based quote unquote reporting, um, and sometimes their arguments are considered as on a par with that of. Let's say Christianity today, or let's say Mornings with Carmen. Um, and well, well so, this is
2: this is yeah. Well, this is I mean, a challenge. Point, yeah, yeah. This is your experience as a a journalist yourself. I mean, this is why people call this this time you know post truth that we can make declarative statements on on Twitter and you know have to hold no responsibility for those and then move on. And it's it's re- it's remarkable how it has upended politics in our our country and and some would say threatened our you know, life as a, a democratic society, we don't yet know where, where it ends. And obviously, part of being in this current political season is is discovering, is there a limit to the way in which uh, some of these abuses of communication uh, can actually affect power? So we'll, we'll see. And I think part of what Christianity Today is trying to say is, you know, reel it in, people. We have got to listen to one another, not just make our own views heard.
0: So that's one of the things I really appreciate about this particular effort. This does seem like an effort to get people, invite people anyway, to listen to one another, um, as opposed to just operating out of whatever their current view is, even if that view is maybe only informed by, by one other voice. Um, so let's talk about how we as Christians might model a form of political dialogue that might inspire the culture to approach things differently. You have a vision?
2: You know I had a mentor uh for years who who used to encourage me when I'm in conversation with with a person uh, with whom I disagree to to listen closely enough to their opinion that I might be tempted by it and I've always held that close to me because i I think it does begin with with me as the listener can I attend to someone else's viewpoint uh to the point that that I am am tempted by their position, I feel you know this is you know a problem that's always been amongst us as human beings that you know once we have a established a viewpoint and get into a conversation our our chief goal is just to speak our mind rather than to hear the other person's point before we respond and and of course, Twitter and social media just has reinforced that that viewpoint. But, you know, as a, as a former pastor who spent a lot of time in pastoral counseling, uh, especially with couples in trouble, I mean, the number one thing that was often a problem was communication. You don't listen to me. And so how can we ever understand and, and fully love one another? So I think that's really the first step, you know, to recognize that these people with whom we disagree are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we believe we're going to spend eternity together. So why not start now? You know, in a way that that really uh, brings Jesus or answers the prayer that Jesus prays for our unity.
0: So, uh, Daniel, I think that when you describe how people would say, "like you don't listen to me," like that's just evidence that I don't feel heard, or I don't mm-hmm. feel understood, or I don't feel seen. And so, I think that as um, as Christians, one of the things that we can certainly do as a part of uh, the way not only we treat one another, but those around us with whom we might um, very much disagree about the matters of the day. We can treat them in the spirit of Christ, that we can, we can stop, we can pause, we can, uh, you know, instead of treating people like an interruption, we can treat them as a divine appointment, we can listen intently, um, and, and be sure that they feel seen and heard and understood, even if at the end of the conversation, we still disagree. Would I can, I
2: can, yeah, I can disagree with you and still love you. sorry. And you know, I think what we've tried to do in this series, as you scroll down the various writers, you know, we worked really hard to to have a wide spectrum of opinion. But as you see, we represented these people in a unified fashion, to visually, but also, you know, from a content vantage point, underscore, and we asked them to write in this way that you know, as you express your opinion, also recognize that how we say and talk politics as Christians is as important as what we say, and that both of those things have to happen together. Yeah.
0: Daniel Harrell, thank you so much for what you do at Christianity Today. You guys can check out the series at ChristianityToday.com. Scroll down the page. You're looking for The Table on King and Country. It's a special series. We'll be right back. All right. So um, one of the logical fallacies that we sometimes enter into is um, expecting the other person or anticipating the, that the other person not only is going to be wrong, but they're malicious. They're, they're terrible. They're horrible. Let's, um, let's set that aside today. That's a logical fallacy. And let's actually just listen to each other. Let's appreciate the humanity of the other person um, and let's treat them in the spirit of Christ as one who is made in the image of God, Uh, And living in the reality of a fallen humanity. All right, we got a whole nother hour up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.